0: I've got a lot of things I want to share with you tonight. I don't think the night's long enough to say everything I want to. I've often wondered what it would have been like to have been, you know, with Moses, with those two to two and a half million people in the wilderness. Can you imagine what it was like having a church that size? When you got ten people, you got ten problems. You've got a hundred people, you've got a hundred problems. He had a couple million problems. The poor guy. And every time he turned around, they were hollering and complaining about something. Wasn't enough to eat. Not enough to drink. Always something going wrong. They always saw the the giants in the land. Never saw the promises of God. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus. Look in the book of Exodus. Let me show you a few things before I get into my message. This is a little sidetrack, but it ain't going to hurt nothing. We ain't going nowhere anyway. But look there in Exodus chapter 14. Chapter 14. They had come up to the, the Red Sea, and everything was, seemed like it's going wrong. And uh, the Lord told them, says, Let's just, just stand still and see see the salvation of the Lord. Watch what God does for you. When they they didn't know what to do. Pharaoh's army's coming up behind them. Here's all these people. And remember, a lot of this, God never told Moses in advance how he was going to do it. He just had to trust God to lead him as he went. And a lot of times it seemed like the Lord forgot to take care of certain little things. You know, like water. I mean, they went three days without water. Three days. What would you do if you went 24 hours without water in the desert? They they complained. And then God got upset with them because they complained. I guess he was trying to teach them, look, how many of them died because they died of thirst? How many actually died from thirst? We don't know if anybody who died from thirst. How many of them died from hunger? You don't know if any of them that died from hunger. Because God met their basic need. Now there's a lot of things that um, God told them was going to happen. All those that had rebelled against him. He says, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're, just, you're going to die. And only those that believed him, and well, they got to go into the land. But here in, in chapter 14, look there in verse 14. He says, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And then in the last part of verse 15, he said that they go backwards. No, they go forward. Right through the middle of the Red Sea. So they went across, it says there in verse 16, on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And so God says this is what's going to happen. In verse 19, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them, separating them from the Egyptians so that he couldn't get to them. And God miraculously provided for them. Game of cloud, you know, to keep the old hot sun off of them, fire at night, to give them light and warmth. You know, God, God does a lot of interesting things that they didn't know at the time. And then in verse 21, there was a strong east wind all that night. God did that. Look in verse 22. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. So there's There's a wall of water. Do you realize the confidence that they had to have to step into the Red Sea with a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side? What would you have done? Do you realize the faith that every one of them had to have, not just Moses to lead, but the people to follow? They had never walked this way before. They had never experienced anything like this before. And look what they were going through. But there's something else here I wanted you to see. In chapter 15, it makes this statement. In verse 5, the depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Now some people say there was just a little bit of ankle-deep water that they were in. It don't sound like it. He says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And he talks about what he was going to do and how he did it. Now look in verse 8. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Like jello. Here is two walls of water, and it's like jello. It's congealed and it's there. Do you think there's a possibility that as they walk by, they could see things in the water? What if there's all kinds of fish that they could see? I wonder how deep they could see in through there. Now, when I saw the movie The Ten Commandments, the water was rushing up like this all over the place. But I don't think that's the way it was. I don't think the water was moving like that. I think it was like jello. And they got across, and you wondered, you know, here's, here's all these people going across there. Have you ever wondered what, what, what did they eat? They'd be hungry. You, you think, well, I wonder if there's a big old fish. He can't get away. I'm going to take this fish. i get on the other side. I'll just cook this rascal. You say, well, that, that, that didn't happen. Yeah, probably never happened like that. But can't you dream a little bit and wonder a little bit? Take your Bible and look in Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. I want you to look there in verse 9. He says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. He said, As in the ancient days, in the generation of old, although not it that hath cut Rahab, And wounded the dragon. Are thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, and hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? The last part of verse 9, in talking about the crossing of the redeemed through the Red Sea, he's wounded the dragon. But what dragon? Well, Look in Psalm 74, Psalm 74, and you'll see something that's a a little unusual. Psalm 74, just to show you that God may have done something maybe a little bit strange to us. Psalm 74, look there in verse 12. For God is my King of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Hmm. Look at verse 14. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces, and gaveth him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Hmm. It seems like as they crossed the Red Sea... There was something that God did to provide meat for the people going across. Take your Bible, look in the um, 41st chapter of the book of Job. Look in Job 41. Job 41, and you'll find that God in asking questions to um, Job talks about the uh, behemoth that is on the land which many believe maybe have been an elephant or something like that. But then when he talks about the sea, it talks about the Leviathan. See there in Job, in chapter 40, where it says there in verse 15, Behold, now I'm Behemoth, uh, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. But he asked him a whole bunch of questions, and this is um, a strange thing like a, an elephant. But then look in verse 1 of chapter 41. This whole chapter describes something like a dragon, a fire-breathing dragon. Now, I know that around the world, a lot of people have, you know, this dragon. Especially if you go and eat Chinese food, you'll see the dragon everywhere. True? Now, verse 1 says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bear his jaw through with a thorn? And he goes on down here and says all these things about this strange thing. And look in verse 19: Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, and out of a seething a pot or a cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. You're talking about like a fire-breathing dragon in the Scripture. Now, it's in my Bible. Now, is that in your Bible? And he talks about the Leviathan or the, the dragon, the Leviathan, that was slain in the sea that provided meat for the people when they went across. Now, it's just a possibility that maybe God says, Look, I've got two to two and a half million people to feed. It wouldn't have been something if God can provide a table in the wilderness, that God can provide miraculously for them to have food to eat. And he says that when they were crossing it, that God provided the meat for those that were going into the wilderness. Sometimes you just wonder about all the strange things that can happen. In your personal life, there's going to be a lot of strange things that you'll not be able to explain. But, you know, there's shoes the clothes never wore out for 40 years. How'd you like to wear the same pair of shoes for 40 years? But God is God, and God did things that nobody else can do. And I believe that when it comes to the Lord, we know, and you and I are never supposed to question or to doubt that God loves us. But the question comes down is do you love God? Do you love Him? Or do you question God? Do you get bent out of shape because of things that you go through in life? Remember a couple weeks ago I told you that opportunities are like on wheels and they knock and then they're gone. But temptation uh, leans on the doorbell. Never wants to leave you. And there's always kind of problems and so forth that we have. But I want you to take your Bible and look here in the book of John chapter 5. The Gospel of John. In chapter 5. The book of John chapter 5. And look there in verse 42. Verse 42. He says in verse 42. But I know you. I know you. Jesus is talking. I know you. That you have not the love of God in you. I know that you have not the love of God in you. Now, take your Bible, look in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John and chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and look there in verse 8. This is what God says in His Word. Verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God. That word knoweth there is a reference to the second chapter also, and as you follow it through, you'll find out it means that he that loveth not loveth not God, for God is love. In other words, do you believe that God knows whether you love Him? Now, we often say, well, if God, if you really loved me, you would do this and this and this and this and this. And in our mind, we have things built up. And if God doesn't do it the way we think He should, we sometimes think, well, maybe God doesn't love me like I thought He did. I guess God doesn't really love me. If He loved me, He wouldn't let this happen or this happen or that happen. But let's put it around the other way. What is God looking for in your life that would prove to Him that you love Him? How would you show God you loved Him? What would be the criteria? What would be the standard of what you would or wouldn't do that would prove to God that you love Him? Now, I believe God's Word has a few things to say about this. And so I want you to look there in the book of Psalms in chapter 10. Psalms in chapter 10. There's a lot of things mentioned in the book of Psalms. Just a verse here and a verse there. I like to pick out certain verses. Sometimes I like to teach the whole psalm. But if you look there in chapter 10, I want you to look there in verse 4. In verse 4. I believe that your love for the Lord is revealed by what you think about. Have you ever been in a car and they have a, a little um, compass in the car. And whenever you turn and go the wrong way, it will say you're going east or west or south or north or northeast, northwest, whatever. And it tells you the direction you're going. You see, whenever a Christian has made up his mind, I want to serve the Lord. There's occasions where you may turn and get off course a little bit, but it'll always swing back to true north. You'll go back to the Lord. Because sometimes you may not be aware that you're not walking straight as you ought to, but a man's heart that loves the Lord, he's going to always come back. You get off a little bit, you don't think like you should, but you're going to get your thoughts back to the Lord and think the way God wants you to think. Now we know that his thoughts are not ours and, Ours are not His, but the reason we study the Word of God is so that we have something by which we can find true north. Something that helps us to have this compass where it will work and always swing us back. Love is what always brings you back to the Lord. Because if you love something more than the Lord, then that's the direction you're going to head in. You're going to lean toward the things that you love, and if it's the things of the world, you're going to go that way. But you'll always think about the things of God in eternity. The judgment seat of Christ. Of pleasing God. And so those are things that will happen in your life because of the thought. But look there in verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. But the person who loves the Lord, it's going to be in all of his thoughts. And even whenever you, like I said... Sometimes you think about things that are not have nothing to do with God. Your love will bring you back to it. And I believe that it's very important that you learn how to control your thought. Now, look there in the 139th Psalm. The 139th Psalm. Now, a lot of times I use this whole Psalm in talking about, you know, God made us. And His thoughts are about us continually. When He says up there in verse 1, O oh Lord, Thou hast searched me and known my heart are my thoughts. You know where I'm coming from. Down in verse 17 says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. O oh God, how great is the sum of them. But wait a minute, wait a minute. We know God thinks about us. But do you think about God? And everything that you say and do and think, do you think how does this affect God? Is this going to be pleasing to the Lord? You've got to have something that kind of helps you to have some direction in life that always brings you back to true north, to where you can say, this is the direction that I'm going, and you can stay on course, and it's to help you. So, look there in verse 23, where David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, or test me. Know my thoughts, because God knows the thoughts of a man as Jesus was here and even John chapter 2 he says he knew what was in man in other words he knows what people think I'm so glad that you don't know what I think but I'm glad that God knows what I think and he can read your mind and so if God knows your thoughts does he know that you love him does he know you love him if all he did was read your thoughts What about the attitude that you have toward the Word of God, the Word of God itself? Look there in the 119th Psalm, just the 119th Psalm. You're right there, not far away. But in the 119th Psalm, look there in verse 97, verse 97. And look at what God's Word says. See, if you do not love the Word, then there's good reason to doubt that you love the Lord. Because the, the word reveals the Lord and leads you the way God wants you to go. And so Christ had made the statement, if you love me, serve me. If you love me, serve me. Well, you don't know what to do in service. It's not left up you to decide. You study the word of God so that you can know. So you know that God not only wants to read your mind and knows your thoughts, but it's, do you love his word? What is it that God uses to decide whether or not do you love me? He says, if any man love me, it shall be known of him. If any man love me, it shall be known. So look what he says in verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation every once in a while. It is my meditation all the day. Now, you need to read and mark in your Bible Joshua chapter 1 where he talks about meditate in the Word of God so that you may know what to say and what to do in order that your way may be prosperous. And he talks about being strong and very courageous. Well, that's what the Word of God will do for you. Meditate in the Word of God. Put God's Word into your mind. So if you do not study the Bible and you don't meditate on God's Word and His will, and his purpose, does God know that? Does God know whether or not you really love him? Did you know he says, if any man love me, he said, then him will I reveal my will. God will reveal himself to those who love him. If you do not love him, you may know Christ as Savior. You can quote verses in the Bible. You can go through the actions, the motives. I mean, the, the, the things just like everybody else. But there's something that will be between you and him. God knows whether or not you really love Him. And there's things He's looking for in your life. There's things that we look for from God. And sometimes we get upset with God because God doesn't always do what we think He ought to do when we think He ought to do it. Do you think there's any of those people that got thirsty on the first day? Second day? Third day? But now, we're going to die. He brought us out here in this wilderness to die. This is why he did it, so he could kill us all. We would have been better off back there in Egypt with nothing but onions, leeks, and garlic. Well, wait a minute. Are those the same people that cried out to God and God told Moses, says, Moses, my people cry out to me to be delivered. Did they forget about that? You see, people change all the time. People are normally whiners. They're murmurers and complainers. And you'd be surprised that things in our lives that God uses to toughen us up a little bit. Tribulation worketh what? Patience and patience experience. That's where you get your experiences from. That's where you learn to mature. Because you'll find out after a while, God has got to get you into a state of despair. When you don't have the power to do anything about it and can't change anything, then God got you right where he wants you. And that's not the place we want to be. We always like to be able to have everything in control. I want to control things. And I don't like it when I don't have control. Did you know God will do whatever necessary to strip away our pride? Though we won't call it that. We would never admit to that. In the book of Peter, when he talks about humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Ours is just to submit. His is to exalt us, to raise you up, do whatever he wants to do with you. All right. Then sometimes God has to strip you and he'll purge you like silver, getting all the dross off. To try to make it pure. And little do you know and think that you still have some things in your life that God has got to purify you from. There might be areas in your life that's totally not yielded to the Lord, but you don't know that. There may be areas in your life that are not right with God, but you may not see that yet. So there's things maybe you haven't surrendered to the Lord and God knows. So God says, I'm not through yet. Can't use you yet the way I want to. Remember when Moses fled from the king or Pharaoh and went on the backside of a desert for 40 years? Do you know in the book of Acts, it makes the statement that Moses thought in himself. He supposed that God was going to use him to deliver Israel by his hand from Egypt. He knew that before he ever made his decision, not only to kill that Egyptian, but whenever they said, who made you the leader? Who put you in charge? Who made you the ruler of the judge? It's what he wanted to do. It's what he expected to do. And God had to take Moses, who was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he thought he was doing the right thing. But he had to go on the backside of a desert. Because see, he had spent the first 40 years of his life learning the ways of the world. And God had to put him on the back side of the desert for 40 years to unlearn him and drain him of all of his pride and taught him how to be a shepherd, how to be a servant. And then God used him the last 40 years of his life in a great way. See, It wasn't that God didn't want to use Moses. It's the timing wasn't right. And God wanted to get Moses out of Moses. So that Moses knew that God had to do it. You see, he was going to do it. He was going to show what he could do. And God wanted Moses to see what God can do. And so God did the miraculous. And that's why whenever Moses said to the Lord, he says, when people say, who sent you? What am I supposed to say? He says, you say, I am that I am, have sent you. Yeah, but I, I, I can't talk. And he had five big excuses that he used. Because see now, he had been humbled. How long did it take Moses to get humbled? About 40 years. Now you and I don't have to wait that long if we'll listen and learn from God a little quicker. But you have to know what God is doing. So God will allow things to happen in your life that you can't control. You can't manipulate. You can't make happen so that you have to totally see what God will do. And you just simply say, Lord, I can't do it. Whatever you want done, the way you want it done, I am simply surrendering. You can do whatever you want with me. I'll be as humble as I can be, as dependent as you want me to be. I will not try to exalt myself, I'll just be your servant. I would rather just be a a servant in the house of the Lord, than have everything else in this world. It's so important. Take your Bible and look there in, uh, let's see, I'm in 119 Psalm, but I I never did finish what I was going to read here. (laughs) Look in verse 98, thou through thy commandments hath made me wiser than mine enemies, understand You're going to have enemies in this world, but God's word will make you wiser than your enemies. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I kept thy precepts. So look in verse 103 now, where he makes the statement, How sweet are thy words unto my taste. 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 130 says, the entrance of thy word giveth light. A lot of tremendous verses through here. And then you look there in verse 133 where it says, order my steps in the Lord. Order my steps in the Lord. Take your Bible and look there in Psalms 84. You're in Psalms, just look in Psalms 84. Psalms 84 and look there in verse 10. Verse 10. Now, I know that we don't consider this, you know, as we come together into the house of the Lord. Well, we know God doesn't live here. But this is a sacred place. This place has been dedicated to the purpose of the Lord. So whether or not some people want to call it the house of God or not, it's it's a place where God's people meet. Therefore, I think it's a special place. But look what he says in verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand on the outside. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now let me show you two other verses that helps explain a little bit more about that. Look up there in verse uh, 2. He says, My soul longeth, ye even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Underline the courts of the Lord. And then look in verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. If a child of God loves the Lord, I can't see why they don't love the place where God's people meet and why they can't come to church. I question the love of any person who does not love his word or his people. You see why? Because God says they don't love him. They don't love him. Do you love the Lord? Then church ought to be a special place to you. That's where we encourage one another. Listen, people are having a hard time. People have a rough time. People need people to know them and, and love them and care about them and pray for them. But some people, all they think about is themselves. As long as I'm doing fine, I don't need church. And you'd be surprised how fast when somebody is in trouble, they call the preacher. Pray for me. Let them go to the hospital. And the first person they want to come soon, oh, the preacher, come and pray for me what was wrong with you coming to see the preacher when you could? You want the preacher to come see you? And and I don't mind that. But what I'm saying is that this place ought to be special for God's children. And we ought not have to pull and force and beg God's children to do what they ought to do naturally. I've always had problems with that. Nobody in 50 years has ever had to try to motivate me to go to church. Nobody. Because I do it because I want to. I've done it for all these years because it means something special to me. Because I believe it's a thermometer of my love. It shows what it means to me. If Christ gave His life for the church and He loves the church, then so should I. And I haven't figured out how I can love Christ And not love his people. Or to want to be with his people. God's word says that I should. So it's an important thing. Look in Psalms 42. Psalms 42 and look in verse 1. Now the word heart means a male deer. But look there in verse 1. As the heart of the male deer panteth after the water brooks. You ought to underline the last part of this verse. So panteth my soul... After thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God ought to be the most important thing in your life. And nobody can make him real to you. Nobody can make you love him. But he says, if you do love me, he says, serve me. So is there a God in heaven that's looking into the church, even tonight or Sunday morning or Wednesday night and looking for His people, and wondering, if you love me, serve me, be found faithful. I believe it's the will of God for God's people to do this. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Another verse I want to give to you is the 119th Psalm, since we're right here, look there in verse 63. 119th Psalm, verse 63. And you ought to underline this part of the verse. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. I like to have good friends and close friends. But all my friends are those that not only love the Lord, but fear God. Now, I'm friendly toward everybody. I don't try to go out and make enemies. I make a few, but I don't. that's not my goal. But I like having friends that walk with God. You show me who your friends are, and I can tell a lot about you. Some people have their church friends, and then they have their other friends. I only have church friends. I don't have no other kind of friends. You will find it very difficult to withstand the pressures of your friends. And if they're not the right kind of people who love the Lord, they can also influence you not to serve the Lord. This is what makes it so hard for teenagers, because they want to have Friends and they want to be accepted. And if they have friends that don't walk with the Lord, it's hard for them to ever break free. With adults, they should be able to understand these things a little bit more. Sometimes teenagers don't get it right off the bat. What is your attitude toward the world? How do you see the world? Do you love the world? Do you wish that uh, you could just stay here forever? Is your all your sights upon the things of this world? Or do you set your affections on things that are above? Because you know and you look forward to and you're planning on the day when you leave this world. You want the Lord to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because of your service to him. That's not what gets you to heaven, but you do want him to say it. You want to live in such a way that you're not ashamed before him at his coming. Let me say just a word about this. You remember there's a story where Jesus was sitting there and watching the treasury as people came in and as they gave money. It says there was a woman that came in and she didn't have much. She just gave a little bit of what she had. But the Bible says she gave all she had. And Jesus says she gave more than anybody else. Because they gave out of their abundance. And she gave everything that she had. When it comes to giving, do you believe that giving to the Lord's work has anything to do with you and your love for the Lord? God's Word says it does. I am never afraid or ashamed to talk about money, especially not to God's people. I don't want to make it an issue with lost people call so that's not an issue. But with God's people, there's always this issue about whether or not, well, I don't believe in tithing. Because tithing is under the law. Do you realize how much grace it takes for a child of God to give a tenth? I don't place myself under the law. But in the book of Corinthians in chapter 9, where he talks about giving, he refers to the law. He says, you don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. That's a reference to the Old Testament principle. I don't believe that I have to give a tenth. But generally, the people who don't want to give that much are always talking about, I'm not under the law, and I don't have to do that tenth business. Generally, that's the people who give less than a tenth. But those who really believe in giving by grace because of God's love for you and what He's done for you and because of the the mercies of God and view of all that He's done, those people who really love the Lord and who really want to believe in grace-giving, know that a tenth is only a good place to start. It's not the limit. Those who want to give less, always talk about, well, that's under the law, because that justifies them giving the little as they can. And Those who believe in grace-giving always want to see, how much can I give? I want you to love the Lord enough that you give what God wants you to give. And it was Betty's dad that had a difficult time teaching this 18-year-old kid to part with any of his money. I needed it a lot worse than the church did. I didn't understand at the time that it was only that little bit that I was giving that was revealing how much I can trust God for. If I only gave a tenth, at least I gave that much, But I also knew that I was wiser with the 90%. And I got more accomplished than if I kept it all. So because of grace and my love to the Lord, I've never resented giving to the Lord's work. And I've tried to make sure I've always given more. I would hate to think that somebody under the law would give more than what I could under grace. Because of God's love for us, I believe that it shows my trust in God that I can give it to Him and then trust Him for the rest of whatever I need. And for 50 years, God has always come through. There's been times when I didn't see how in the world we could continue and pay our bills. But I know that this belongs to God, and I'm given to God first. Not because I had to, but because I knew this is my way of showing God. Out of everything that I have, I trust you. I trust you. And I have no problems about giving to the Lord's work. I'll trust God for whatever else. There's some of God's people that are afraid that if they gave at least that much, that they're not going to have enough to do anything else with. But you'd be surprised how many people have bought homes with God's money, TVs with God's money, cars with God's money that should have been given to the Lord's work. Now, what I'm saying is, if God is in heaven and He looks down from heaven, do you believe that God is watching everything, what we think, what we say, what we do, where we go, and determines whether or not Do you really love me? Do you really trust me? Some people give a little bit because they only trust the Lord a little bit. God says He wants us to be a cheerful giver. If you give begrudgingly, you ought to keep every dime you have. If you can't give and trust God, that you're doing what God wants you to do. And you ought to determine that alone between you, your wife, and figure out this is what God has done and this is what we ought to do, and this is what we're going to do, and then you do that. But I think it's a shame when God's people try to tip God a little bit, just to try to keep Him off their back. They're not really sowing like they ought to sow. And because they don't sow right, they won't reap right. Your love for the Lord is revealed by the things that you do. In every area of your life. Let me put it this way. A person who doesn't believe. They ought to at least do that much. You better be thankful for the ones who do believe it. Or they won't be a ministry here. Because there's enough of the people in this ministry. That do believe it. And they give accordingly. And that's what keeps these doors open. And makes the ministry go forward. Because there's people who believe they love for the Lord, and they give, and they're gracious in their giving, and yet there's some people who are always stingy. Now, I don't look at the books. I don't know who gives what or how much. I don't touch the money when it's collected. I don't count the money. I don't deposit the money. Unless Mr. Polson, or them, unless they tell me what we got, I don't even know what we have. I don't even know what the balance is now. I don't care what it is. I just know that we ought to do right. Don't you agree with that? It's just right. But that's between you and God. But whatever your reasons are and however you do it, you better make sure you do what God wants you to do in the area of your giving and do it cheerfully and not begrudgingly and do it because you love the Lord and you have confidence in the ministry here and what we're doing. If you give less, I won't know it. If you give more, I won't know it. But I can tell you who will. The one you say you love. Just love him and do right. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He just hates what we do wrong. But he loves us. And he says for us to pay for that is eternal separation from God in a literal fire burning hell. But he wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We've all done things wrong and come short of God's perfection. And God says, you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And it says that whosoever would believe this, God would give them as a free gift, everlasting life, and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray, shall we? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so. Friend, God loves you. Remember, you don't have to change anything, give anything. You don't have to give any money. Salvation is free. Going to heaven is a gift. God loves you that much. All you need to do is trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing He died and paid for all of your sins and came back from the dead. You can do that. And if you trust Him right now, God said He would save you right now and give you as a free gift everlasting life, and He'll never cast you out and He'll never lose you. Our Father, we thank You so much for all You've done for us. We thank You for this evening and the study of Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that each person here would realize that, yes, You're looking for those who love You and that you would reveal yourself to them, and your will to them. And I pray, Lord, that you put a hedge about each one here. A lot of families are hurting. Some are hurting for jobs. There's others because of health. But whatever the reason is, Lord, I, I, I pray that they not question whether or not you love them or not, because you, you love us with an everlasting love. It doesn't change. But there's things and so many lessons you want us to learn. Help us to be faithful and realize that tribulation worketh patience, and that patience is what gives us our experiences. Those experiences is what causes us to be confident and bold. And we put so much more into our lives, looking forward to the day when we'll stand before you. Thank you again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.